Years ago, I did this. It was probably because I just got an iPhone and I thought it was cool. But I'm going to take a picture of all of you here this morning. And I had some backup because at the first service, we had a dedication, uh, actually two dedications for infants, and some of our photographers were here, so Klong got at the back and uh, helped me out here. But I just want to take a picture of all of you, and I think I can do wide lens and get you all. So everybody on the count of three, smile. One, two, three. Okay. You all look so good. We'll see how that turns out. If you want a copy of that, then uh, please ask me afterwards, and I will text one to you. But is there anything more impressive than a crowd of people who believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior of their lives? Could there be a better picture than that? The crowd is the result of disciple-making. It's people laying the foundation, and then it's investing the time in people, and then it's also telling your story, as our associate pastor James talked about last week. And then it also means that we have to then move to the next level, and that is disciple, that new believer. Now, I want to ask you a question. In two years' time, if I was to take a picture of this group, would you still be here? And would you be growing as a disciple of Christ? So the church misses out on its purpose if people come in the front door and then they just exit out the back door. Since January of 2022, we actually have 205 people that are new to us. So that it would be people that through their pattern of attendance and involvement have shown that HCC is what they consider to be their church home. But our attendance hasn't gone up by 205 since that time. Actually, it has gone up by 94, which is pretty significant. So the question is, where are the other 111? Well, 45 people actually moved from here to another city, another province, another country. Some of them were new since January of last year. Others had been here longer. So that gives us 67 that are still around here. Then we've got things like COVID that has been affecting worship attendance and work and travel schedules are a very real thing as well. But still, others, where are they? They've slowly faded out of the picture. In the parable of the sower, Jesus predicted that we would lose some. And I acquired Tim Cook's services back in the middle of May because our lawn was in horrible shape. The ground was actually giving way. It had settled down since the subdivision was developed. And I was mowing and then going like this on the lawn. So he had a guy with him. They filled all that in. They trimmed the, the hedges, bark mulch around the house. It looks really nice. And then he planted grass. Well, it was cold for the first two weeks. So there wasn't much happening. And then he came along and he planted some more grass seed. And then I saw some more grass appear. And then it was starting to look more like the top of my head at this point. Still needed some work. And he 
planted some more seeds and a little more filled in. But each time, the, most of the seed just wasn't actually catching it. It wasn't growing. So we have been concentrating on making more and better disciples here at HCC. And this is a, a process that is going to take time. You see what Dwight Moody said. I have it up here on slides. He said, when I was converted, I made this mistake. I thought the battle was already mine, the victory won, and the crown already in my grasp. I thought the old things had passed away and all things had become new and that my corrupt nature was part of my old life and it was gone. But I found out after serving Christ for a few months, the conversion was only like enlisting in the army. There was a battle on hand. So today we are going to focus our attention on the concept of discipleship. And that's the role in taking a person from where they are when they accept Christ as their Lord and Savior to that next level. And the word disciple literally means learner or follower. And we have a actually have a definition of what a disciple is, and it's on that white board on the back wall. But a disciple is someone who is following Christ, is being changed by Christ, and committed to the mission of Christ. So when we speak about Christian discipleship, we're talking about teaching believers how to follow Jesus and live as he did. So basically, to be like him. Those 1 Peter 2.21, this is what you were called to do because Christ suffered for you and gave you an example to follow. So you should do as he did. So that's basically follow in his steps. That's what we're told to do. So it begins there. And it heads toward discipleship and a deeper commitment. So today we're going to look at a brief passage in the book of Acts. And in this we see an example of discipleship. Because in this case we'll see a married couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. And they actually are friends of the Apostle Paul. And they take a young charismatic evangelist by the name of Apollos under their wing and they help him to mature in his understanding of God's word. And just as we're passionate about evangelism, we're also intent on developing those new believers. And our text isn't long, but it shows a lot about Apollos, and it shows a lot about Aquila and Priscilla. So let's take a look at how they discipled him in the faith. First of all, we see the challenge of discipleship. And the first challenge is for Aquila and Priscilla. So we're picking up in Acts 18, verse 24. A Jew named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was born in the city of Alexandria and was a good speaker who knew the scriptures well. He had been taught about the way of the Lord and was always very excited when he spoke and taught the truth about Jesus. But the only baptism Apollos knew about was the baptism that John taught. So there was a positive here, and that was the fact that he had a good knowledge of the Scripture. There was a negative, though, in the fact that he didn't understand all of what he was talking about. And he only knew the baptism of John the Baptist. Now, the work of John the Baptist was just temporary. He was preparing for the coming of the Messiah. And people who 
believed that the Messiah was going to come, they were baptized by John. But that's completely different from Christian baptism because there we experienced something that took place several years later on the day of Pentecost. So this is after Jesus has died on the cross. He has been brought back to life again. He has ascended back to heaven. And on that day, that's when the church began. And so we read in Romans 6, 5, Since then, uh, we have been united with him in his death. We will also be raised to life as he was. So John's baptism was actually a, a demonstration of a desire to do better, while Christian baptism was the empowerment to do better through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the challenge for Aquila and Priscilla was how do they explain this to this young guy? He, he's a great preacher. He's t actually drawing big crowds. And how can they do this without alienating him and discouraging him? Now, there's a challenge in here for Christians that I want you to see as well. Because we live in an age of biblical ignorance and we're in the midst of a disoriented culture which places a very low priority on God's word. And you'll hear famous people saying things like, well, I grew up in the Catholic church, but now I think I'm more of a Buddhist. But when I think about it, I don't really practice anything at all. Now, the positive is that they're looking for something the negative is that they've been raised to believe that there are no absolutes and I can believe or I don't believe. It doesn't really matter. So the challenge for us as Christians is to reach out to that type of culture. And then I also want you to see the challenge with us here at HCC. According to what all the experts say, we have now moved from a mid-sized church when you put the attendance of both services together to the beginning of a large church. And we have 28 different nationalities here as a part of our church, so we have different cultures, we have different backgrounds, and we continually have to make certain that people who commit their lives to Christ and this church find their salvation in Jesus alone. It's not in any works that we do, but it's through Jesus Christ alone. So we go over the basics and we point people to Christ. And part of discipleship is reviewing that and teaching those things and understanding that sometimes false teaching can infiltrate the church. So we will test everything against scripture to see if that is truly being accurate. But growth is exciting. That means that there are a number of baby Christians present. So that's why we need to disciple people. That's why we offer opportunities for people to grow spiritually. So we will encourage you to be involved in a life group where you can study the Bible, where you can develop relationships with other people. And we'll invite you to one-on-one -on -one studies if you can't be a part of a group. Like one of our leadership will meet with you and do an investigative Bible study. A partnership class is a great way to make a connection. So there are a number of different growth opportunities. Alan Redpath was a well-known British evangelist, pastor, and author. And he said, the conversion of a soul is the miracle of the moment. 
but the manufacturing of a saint is the task of a lifetime. So birth is exciting. Yesterday when I came back from performing a wedding ceremony, I noticed my neighbor finally back home. She and her husband have a home in Florida in the wintertime, and I usually come back here the 1st of May, but they just showed up. And I went over and discovered their first grandchild was born on May 5th. I performed the wedding ceremony two years ago. So I was shown all kinds of pictures of little baby Francis and his mother and his father. So there's excitement because there's new birth. And it's the same way when someone comes to Christ. But it's more than just showing pictures of that incident and being excited about that because growth as a disciple is important. It is what is fulfilling. And it needs to take place when you begin on that pathway with Christ. So here are the methods of discipleship. Because as we look at Aquila and Priscilla, you can see some methods that might help us to grow as well. So we're now in verse 26. Apollos began to speak very boldly in the synagogue. And when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him to their home and helped him better understand the way of God. So Aquila and Priscilla, uh, they began by listening to Apollos. Uh, they gave him a hearing. There was a Peanuts cartoon that I saw years ago, and Lucy and Marcy were walking to school one day, and it was getting close to Christmas. And Lucy said, I'm going to ask the teacher if I can play the part of Mary in our Christmas play this year. And Marcy answered, oh, she already gave me the part. She already asked me. And Lucy continues, I think I'll be great as Mary. And Marcy answered, she asked me yesterday. But still ignoring her, Lucy continues on and says, you know, I really like that part where the angel Gabriel will be speaking to me. And then Marcy is just totally exasperated at this point. And she says, why would Gabriel ever talk to you? You never listen. And listening is so important. The, I've had these weddings the last couple of weekends, and in my premarital counseling with the couples, I talked about the importance of listening. You need to be in conversation with one another, and you're not constantly thinking about what you want to do next. You're listening to what that person has to say. And my wife was in the front row and gave a little guffaw at that point. And I probably do a little better at listening to all of you than I do spending time at home with her. So I need to practice what I preach. Greg Nicholson, remember that. But I wonder if Anne and I, excuse me, Aquila and Priscilla know that Apollos was a disciple of John the Baptist. Because every time this man spoke, the synagogue, it would have been filled. They went to hear this charismatic man of God. They cared about him, and they saw incredible potential in him. And, and these people, Aquila and Priscilla, they could have gone out and started spreading rumors about Apollos. They could have tried to tear down his ministry and say things like, I hate to tell you this, this guy, he appears to be good, but he doesn't have all the facts. But instead, they saw in him a future leader in the church, and, and they reached out to help him. So it's so important that we give people a hearing. 
And oftentimes we go to tell people instead of go to listen. And we have no idea where that individual stands on a particular issue. If we would just go to them and listen, we would find out. So Aquila and Priscilla, they listened and they discovered that Apollos was uninformed in regards to baptism. They found out that he merely talked about this baptism of repentance. So he evidently hadn't heard about Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. He hadn't heard about the fact that the baptism that we experience as Christians is accompanied with the forgiveness of sins and the personal indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So they gave him a hearing. And then Aquila and Priscilla gave him an invitation. And I like this. They didn't blast him in public. They didn't heckle him during his sermon. And at the first service, you never talk about something and brag about it because you're going to fall as quickly as you can. But I mentioned I have never been heckled in a sermon. Now, my associate pastor, James, he has. He, he was speaking, and one time he just mentioned something about Donald Trump wanting to put a wall up between Mexico and the U.S. And there was a guest from the U.S. that day that yelled out, what's wrong with Trump? And, but then I was immediately heckled by somebody after saying that. So uh, I've been heckled just like James. But uh, Aquila and Priscilla, they, they didn't heckle Paul. They didn't wait until the service was over and he's standing at the back uh, greeting people and go up to them and say, okay, we need to talk to you. There are some things that we need to get straightened out in what you're teaching. But they just graciously invited him into their house. They offered him warmth and hospitality. And when he came to their house, they shared the truth with him. And they didn't say, you know, this guy is so talented. He's so fervent about what he's talking about. I just kind of hate to squelch his enthusiasm. Maybe we should just not say anything at all. But they didn't do that. They knew that the truth mattered. In Romans 10, Paul wrote, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. So a person can be sincere, and they can be sincerely wrong. Hitler was passionate, but he was terribly misguided and wrong. And Aquila and Priscilla, they dealt with this lovingly and honestly. And in the next chapter, we actually read about a time when the Apostle Paul had to do the same thing with 12 individuals in the city of Corinth, and he taught them the meaning of baptism into Christ. So they realized that the truth matters, especially with spiritual things. In James 4.17, anyone who knows the right thing to do but doesn't do it sins. And we think sin is knowing there's the wrong thing and I do it. But if we know the right thing to do and we don't follow it, that's actually sin. So we must go to those in error and lovingly present the word of God to them. And then the last method they employed was they gave him encouragement. And maybe they're saying, well, you should hear about some of the mistakes that we made early on in our Christian lives. You, you should hear some of the ways that we interpreted portions of God's word. 
So maybe they shared with him from that perspective. So picking up in verse 27, now Apollos wanted to go to the country of southern Greece. So the believers helped him and wrote a letter to the followers there asking them to accept him. So in other words, they didn't hold this over him or over his ministry. Instead, they wrote letters of recommendation to send along with him as he went to another area. This guy's coming. He's an awesome preacher. He has a great message. We've spent time with him. He stayed in our home. Please listen to what he has to say. So they encouraged him and they supported him. So what would it be like for you if you're a teacher in our children's ministry, Glow Kids, or maybe you're someone that serves in the Ignite youth program on Wednesday evenings, or maybe you lead one of our life groups. What if you saw in the people that are a part of those groups their potential rather than you looked at them for the problems that they now have? This is what Aquila and Priscilla did. They saw the potential in Apollos, and they looked to the future and the great things that he could do. See, there are a lot of people who have started in ministry but are out of it now because of a bad experience they had, and then other Christians had basically come at them with a critical spirit, and it just drove them into the ground. So let's look at what the results are after a person comes through this discipleship process. I'm going to read that first half of verse 27 again and then carry on from there. Now, Apollos wanted to go to the country of southern Greece, so the believers accepted, helped him, and wrote a letter to the followers there asking him to be accepted. These followers had believed in Jesus because of God's grace and when Apollos arrived, he helped them very much. He argued very strongly with the Jews before all the people, clearly proving with the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So the result of discipleship leads to a transformation, and that further validates the will of God. That validates the fact that God has worked to make a change in that life. There was a story about a middle-aged woman that had a heart attack, and she had a near-death experience while she was on the operating table. And she sees the Lord, and she says, Lord, is it my time? And he says, well, no, not really. You have another 43 years, 8 months, 10 days, and 6 hours. And she says, well, thank you. And so they were able to save her, bring her back to life again. And, and then she's thinking, you know, I should make the best use of this extra time that I've now got. So while she was in the hospital, she paid to have plastic surgery on her face. She had liposuction on her body. And then she had someone come in and dye her hair and do her hair. And after the final operation and procedure, she was released from the hospital. And she crossed the street and she was run into by a speeding uh, ambulance, and she was killed. And she stood before the Lord in heaven, and she said, Lord, I thought you told me that I had 40 more years. Why didn't you pull me from in front of that ambulance? And the Lord said, I didn't recognize you. <laughs> and We want to see major transformations take place in your life. 
And hopefully, after two years of walking with Jesus here at HCC, or maybe after 10 years of walking with him, people won't recognize you because of the incredible changes that have taken place in your life. And they'll say, who's that? Because the changes have been so drastic and so positive. So Apollos, he changes his doctrinal understanding. And those we disciple will gain a knowledge of the Bible. And through our encouragement, their lives will be changed for the better. But this guy, Apollos, he had a humble spirit. He was teachable. And I love 2 Timothy 2. You should teach people whom you can trust the things you and many others have heard me say. Then they will be able to teach others. Now, Billy Graham, he actually commented on this particular verse. And he said, this is a little like a mathematical formula for spreading the gospel and enlarging the church. Paul taught Timothy. Timothy shared what he knew with faithful men. These faithful men would then go on and teach others. The process goes on and on. If every believer followed this better, the church could reach the entire world with the gospel in one generation. But listen to how he concludes this paragraph. He said, Mass crusades to which I committed my life will never finish the Great Commission, but a one-by-one ministry will. And that is the actually the result of discipleship. So there are two goals of discipleship that I want to close with. And the first one is that I want you to find a way to be discipled. Because in our church, there are opportunities to be informally discipled in the faith. And it just requires you taking a little bit of initiative in order to do that. And just like Apollos, you have to decide. So our strategy is for you to grow deeper through our life group ministry. And a few of those groups actually are working with people so that they can then be at the point where they can go and lead a group of their own. You can also have a personal investigative Bible study with someone. And if you get invited to that next session of partnership, please say yes. Take the initiative and say, I want to be in a group. I want to find out what this is like. John said, whoever says that he lives in God must live as Jesus lived. So that's what discipleship is. It's teaching people how to live as Jesus lived. And then the second goal is find a way to disciple others. Now you might say, okay, Greg, you got this all wrong. You're asking me to move out into some uncharted territory here. There was a cartoon that had as the caption, Ted, former multi-level pyramid salesman, teaching a class in evangelism. And it shows him with the pyramid, with the chart, and he's got boxes, and he's got names in all of those boxes. And the caption has him saying, you don't have to lead anyone to Christ. All you have to do is recruit two of your friends and have them lead someone to Christ. But you know something? That's how we can feel about evangelism and discipleship. Let someone else do it. Uh, I'm too busy or I, I don't know enough. But we need to involve ourselves in deepening others because through that process of deepening others, we actually end up deepening our own faith. 
In 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote, So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and southern Greece. So that's why longtime Christians must reach out and mentor and disciple newer believers. It's to take them under their wing and challenge them to grow alongside one another. Dawson Troutman was the founder of the Navigators, and that's an organization that emphasizes sharing your faith and growing people in Jesus Christ. And in 1956, he passed away, and he left a legacy of discipleship which may never be matched. But he died in Shroon Lake, New York City. And he died, actually, by drowning, and he was an expert swimmer. But on that particular day, he was down by the water, and two young women that couldn't swim fell off a dock into the water. So he immediately jumped into the water, and he dove down, and after what seemed like minutes, he found one of those young women. He brought her back to the surface and was holding her above his head and treading water, which there's no way I could do. And he just held her there until someone else came along to rescue her. And then he went down and he found the other young woman, brought her back to the surface. And the same thing, holding her above his head out of the water until someone came to rescue her. And then he submerged. And everybody thought, oh, he, he'll be back up again. But he never did. He died as a result of that. And there was an article in Time magazine about this, and they had a picture of Troutman, and they put a caption below the picture, and they said, he died just as he lived, always holding somebody up. That's evangelism, and that's discipleship. It's bringing people to Jesus Christ to make that decision to have him as the Lord of their lives, and then after they make that decision, it's holding them up. It's helping them to grow in that faith. So who are you holding up? If you're a Christian, we know that this takes time and effort, and we all have a distance to go. Even those of us that pastors, we still have a ways to move on this. But we're getting involved through time and development, and when we do that with people, through time, they will become more and more like Jesus. So I hope that when we take a picture two years from now, you'll be in that picture. And I hope that there will be hundreds of other people in that picture because of the fact that you have reached out to them and evangelized and discipled. But if you've never turned your life over to Jesus Christ, if you've never said, Lord, you're the one then we give you the opportunity to do that today, to say, yes, I want you as the Lord of my life. Yes, I will repent of the sin in my life. I'm going to turn my life around and follow you. And I will confess my faith and be baptized into Christ. Make that decision.